Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, today we're continuing. We're in a series called Jesus is Better. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, and uh, last week we were in Hebrews chapter 4. In fact, last couple of weeks we've been hanging out in Hebrews chapter 4. We talked about the purpose and the power of God's Word. We kind of ended just very quickly with a scripture that talks about how Jesus is our great high priest. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit more about that. What does that mean that Jesus is our great high priest? What is this idea of a high priest or the priesthood or the sacrificial system. We're going to get into that today and be in Hebrews chapter 5, and then I'll be honest with you, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, and then we're going to skip over and and, and at the back end of the message be in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 5, but then flip a couple of pages to Hebrews chapter 7, put a little bookmark because we're going to flip, because here's what happens. The writer gets talking about this idea of the priesthood, the high priest. He starts it at the end of writing in Hebrews chapter 4. Then he, he starts in Hebrews chapter 5, and then all of a sudden he, he gets through it, and, and, and he introduces a character we're going to talk about by the name of Melchizedek. And then he pauses, and he goes on this like rabbit trail of thoughts down a different way, almost to say, uh, he, he kind of, we're going to talk about this, but he almost gets to this place where he goes, you know what, you all ought to know this stuff that I'm writing already, but you don't, and here's why. And it kind of goes down this bird trail, so we're going to see that next week. But then in chapter 7, he picks it up again with Melchizedek talking about the, the priesthood. So today, we want to kind of take out that little train of thought that he kind of goes down so that we can connect the dots from where he starts in Hebrews chapter 5, really the end of Hebrews chapter 4, and where he continues in Hebrews chapter 7. And I've just said a mouthful, and you're already tired of listening. So, hang on with me. This is going to get deep. Everybody say deep. We're going to get deep. You ready to get deep today? We're going to get a little deep. This isn't isn't just, you know, you're kind of like flowery, woo, okay, you know, rah, rah. You're going to have to think today, all right? Put on your thinking cap. We're going to have to think. Everybody's going to have to stay with me. If you're tired, hey, you're going to have to stay with me today, all right? Because we're going we're gonna to talk about this idea of the priesthood, which is like a really difficult concept to get. Now, I want to tell you a little story. There was an article last December that uh, was written in the New York Times, and, uh, and, 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 and the author is kind of interviewing and writing, uh, uh, you know, about this subject. The title was, What Do You Say to the Sufferer? And he tells a story about a, uh, that a rabbi had shared with him, a rabbi in New York City had shared with him, Rabbi Elliot Kukula, and he described a woman that he had met, and this woman had a brain injury, and that brain injury would oftentimes, out of nowhere, cause her to just fall to the ground. And so, so something would happen, and she would just fall to the ground, and then people around her would rush to her and try to pick her up and get her up before she was ready on her own to get up. And, and she was talking to Dr. Kukla, or she was talking to Rabbi Kukla about this, and this is what she said her experience. This is how she felt. She said, I think people rush to help me up because they're uncomfortable with seeing an adult lying on the floor. 
But what I really need is for someone to get down on the ground with me. Sometimes, how many of you know, when we're going through difficult things, when we trip, when we fall, when we're just really down, we, we just, we don't need somebody rushing to pick us up. Sometimes, we just need somebody to get down on the ground with us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been there before? Can I tell you that that's what this idea of Jesus as our high priest, this is what he does. Jesus gets down on the floor with us in our weakness, in our struggle, in our humanity, in, in that part, Jesus gets down on the floor with us and he is our mediator between us and God. Now, the, the, the idea of the priesthood is not always easy to grasp. In fact, if you've had, maybe you've come out of a, a different faith background, or maybe the, your, your background perhaps was in Catholicism or something like that, then you have an idea. When you hear the word priest, you have a particular idea. But I, I want to encourage you that the biblical idea of the priesthood is a little bit different. In fact, a, a lot a bit different. And, and, and when you look at that and you understand it from an Old Testament perspective, you can see that it was really a shadow that was pointing to what Jesus Christ would become for us and what fulfill, would fulfill in us. So because the, the priesthood is kind of like one of these, ooh, what does this mean? Oftentimes we can step back and go, well, pastor, you're going to preach on a subject and I don't really know how that applies to me. How does the priesthood of God apply to me? Does, does, does it really, do I really have to listen? Is this really going to mean anything to me today? Let me encourage you. It is. Because I really believe that when we understand this, it helps us in our relationship with God. Something that seems very religious is really all about relationship. The, the idea of the priesthood and sacrifices and, and this idea in the temple was an idea that seemed like a religious practice, but really the bottom line of it was about relationship. And that's what we're going to see today is about this idea of relationship because the writer to Hebrews is writing to a primarily Jewish audience who was struggling a bit in their faith. They were struggling with this idea that they have put their faith in Jesus. But how does Jesus connect to all of the things that they know, the religious things that used to help them to be right with God. What, what do I do? I don't, I'm not welcome in the temple anymore. I've been kicked out because I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to the priest to offer sacrifices. How, how do I, how do I eliminate the separation that I have between me and God? How, how do I do that now? And, and see, as believers, we see that in Jesus. So the writer is helping them to understand how it connects the dots. But friends, more than just Jewish believers, I want to tell you something. This connects the dots for some of us today. I believe this will connect some dots. So let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. 
That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work even as Aaron was. Well, what this tells us is, is the priesthood was established by God. Nobody just gets to assume that role. They have to be chosen and selected by God for that role. And they act as a go-between between Almighty, Holy God and sinful man. How many know that we have been separated from God by our sin? And that has effects in our life. That has effects in our life. Even if you don't necessarily believe that, uh, believe in this thing of Jesus Christ or God, I want you to understand that in, 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 uh, in our own way, we live this out. Because we have been separated from God by our sin, we need a mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. That's what the priest was all about. But we know internally, there's this thing internally that we recognize, man, I'm separated from God. Think about it. When Adam and Eve, before they had sinned against God, when you read in Genesis, before they had sinned against God, they were walking around with absolutely no shame, laid bare and naked before God and everyone else, and had no problem with that because they were accepted and loved by God. They were, they were clothed in the love and the acceptance of God. They were walking around and they had, they had absolutely no shame. But then sin, right? Then sin. And all of a sudden when they sinned, they recognized this disconnect between them and God. They were laid bare before Almighty God. We talked about this last week, the end of Hebrews, that, that, that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to be laid bare. There's nothing hidden before God, laid bare. But, but there's this separation between them and God. And so what did they do? They looked for a covering. They tried to find a covering. They tried to figure it out on their own. How would they, how would they provide a covering for themselves? And so they, they, they got these fig leaves, and they thought fig leaves would do it. Fig leaves weren't going to do it. Fig leaves didn't do it. So what did God do? When, when God had talked to them, what did he do? He, he clothed them with what? Animal skins. Where did he get the animal skins from? Sacrifice. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But here's what happens. You and I go through life feeling this sense of separation from God, not knowing where do we find our acceptance, where do we find our validation. We, we are laid bare and open, and we are looking for any kind of love and acceptance and covering, and we are, we're looking for, for anybody to give us approval, to make us feel like we're approved, and we try this, and we try that, and we go here, and we go there. Why do we do that? Because in and of ourselves, we recognize that there is something that is missing, something that I am needing. I'm in need of something. And, in, and unless we experience the approval of God, we seek the approval of man. 
We try to, 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 to figure it out in our own goodness, even our own good works. The Bible says there is filthy rags, but we try anyway. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And we try to make sure that everybody knows, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and look what I do, and, and, and I'm a good person. Somebody recognize that. Somebody validate me. I'm a good person. I'm okay. Somebody accept me. And we look for it in, in relationships with our spouse, or we look for it in relationship with our parents, or we look for it in relationships sometimes with our children, or we look for it in friendships, or we try to find it in work. If I just get successful and I make enough money, or in achievements, if I just get all A's in school, I get the degrees. If, I, if I'm successful in business and somebody says, look at you, you make a lot of money, you're successful until it, until it doesn't become enough. And we've got this need to be validated and approved. And it all comes back to we're missing the validation from our Heavenly Father. Our sins have separated us from him. And what happens is we replace God's validation with the opinion of others. And they become God. They become a go-between. They become a mediator. Arthur Miller once, who, who wrote Death of a Salesman, he wrote another play in 1964 called After the Fall. And he talks about how he had always wanted... He, how he always had this sense of judgment that he carried around. Even after he stopped believing in God, there was this sense of judgment that he carried around. And for some reason, he felt like he needed to prove himself to others. And later in life, he realized that simply what he needed was to be approved by God. He was trying to achieve the approval of God by finding his need met in other people. We are always looking for a mediator. Somebody with our sin issue, with our sin problem, somebody to say, oh no, you're okay. Oh no, you're not that bad. Oh no, it's okay. We're always looking for somebody to give us that validation because we recognize our sins have separated us from God. And Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that because we require a mediator, God provided a high priest. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that they were chosen by God to represent the people before God. That's the, the purpose of the, of the high priest was to represent the people before God. A sinful people and a holy God. How are we going to get this right? What are we going to do? So God said, I provide a mediator. I'm providing a high priest. You bring your sacrifices to the high priest and the high priest will go between you and God and offer those sacrifices so that you can be made right with God again. So the offering of sacrifices was done once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in and he would, he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And he would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that a holy God and a sinful people could be made right, a mediator. But this system had inadequacies. Hebrews 5.3 tells us that the problem was that the priest himself was sinful. He, he was a human, 
subject to weakness like everybody else. And therefore, as we'll see in, in Hebrews chapter 7, he had to offer sacrifices for himself first before he could offer sacrifices for the people. The other problem was, is, is, is that, that in Hebrews chapter 5 points out that, that because he was human, he would eventually die and need to be replaced. Hebrews 5.4 says, and no one can become a high priest simply because he won such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. So, so Aaron was the high priest that was chosen from the tribe of Levi to represent the people. He didn't ask for it. God had chosen him to be that mediator. And his son became, after he died, his son was then the one who succeeded him. And then after that, his grandson succeeded him. And there was this succession because God had chosen Aaron to be the high priest from the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi. But again, this priesthood was limited and incomplete. It simply pointed to a greater or a better priesthood that was coming later on. Here is 5, 5, and 6. Once again, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming that he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. In another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. How do we go from Aaron to Melchizedek? Why is this important? Understand, Jesus didn't seek the role. Like Aaron and the Levitical tribe had been appointed, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus himself was also appointed by God. But there's a problem. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Does anybody know what tribe Jesus was part of if you read Matthew's genealogy? Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah. So if the Levitical tribe, the tribe of, uh, that Aaron was a part of, was the priestly tribe, the tribe of Judah was the tribe that David was a part of, it was the kingly tribe. So how does Jesus, how could Jesus be this high priest? How could it be pointing to Jesus as this high priest if Jesus wasn't a part of the Levitical tribe, the genealogy through, through Aaron? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us because he's not after the order of high priest from the tribe of Aaron. He's been appointed high priest through the tribe or through the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? I'm pretty sure in the old er, in Sunday school classes, Melchizedek probably didn't show up on your flannel board. We don't have anything about Melchizedek who is taking down giants or making walls fall down or taking a jawbone and you know slaying a bunch of Philistines. In fact, there's only three places in entire scripture that mention. Melchizedek. And the first story is found in Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, it's a story of all the way back before Abraham was Abraham when he was Abram. 
And, and when he was Abram, he was in the land that God had given him. He and his nephew Lot, and you know, they had come back, and their 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 wealth had grown, and their servants, and their their cattle, and 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 sheep. They were shepherds, and all that. Not their cattle, their sheep. They all grown, and so they're fighting. And and Abraham says, "I don't want conflict in the family. We don't want conflict. So you know what? This land is big enough for both. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south." And so they decide they're going to split ways. And and you all know the story, right, Lot? What did Lot do? He looked, he saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan near, near Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I want that land. And so he chose that land. And, and he goes to that land and he's, he's camping out, pitching his tent near Sodom. And there's battles of kings that are going on. If you read history, there's battles of kings that go on during this time. And there's these kings that came in and they took captive the king of Sodom. They took the, the city by storm and, and they took captive the people and they took Lot and his family with them and they carried them away. And Abram says, hey, that's my family. What am I going to do? And he feels the Lord tell him to go after them. And so he with his servants and some neighbors that he gathered together, they go after and they win the battle and they rescue Lot and his family and they also rescue the people of Sodom and they rescue the king of Sodom and there's great plunder and they're, they're coming back from the battle. And Genesis 14 verse 17 says, after Abram returned from de defeating Kedlamora, or Kedlamora, I don't know, Anyway, and the kings, I mean, sometimes these names, Melchizedek, Kedlalemur, there we go. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, and here it is. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out, check this out, bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Can I pause for a moment? Who is Melchizedek? Where does he come from? He, he is this king of Salem, yet at the same time he's described as a priest of the Most High God. We, we don't know where he came from. We don't know much about him. But what we do know is that Abram recognized him as a priest of God Most High and even tied the tenth of the spoils and gave it to him. All of this being pre-law. Pre-Leviticus. Pre-Exodus. This is pre-Ten Commandments. This is, this is pre-law. But Abraham acts as an act of worship, giving back to God through a mediator, Melchizedek, God, priest of God Most High, who also, again, pre-Passover, pre, here we go, Jesus with his disciples, Last Supper, what does he bring out? The bread and the wine. I don't know. Maybe I get more excited about this stuff than you do. And then... We don't hear about him until years later when David writes Psalm 100 and he's prophesying about the coming Messiah and he declares that he would be priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's the second reference. That's the second reference. In other words, Melchizedek was pointing to Jesus.
that Jesus was to be a high priest in the order of, not Aaron, but the order of Melchizedek. And from this, and what we see in Hebrews, which is the third uh, time we see Melchizedek show up, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews chapter 7, tells us two important truths. First, Jesus was both king and priest. Jesus was both king and priest. Now let's skip over to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to learn a little bit more about Melchizedek, all right? This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. And the name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. He is the king of justice and the king of peace. And it is out of this order, following this person, and understand it just jumped out at me, so please forgive me. This is new, and the 9 a.m. service didn't get this. And, and quite frankly, you could test it to see whether it's doctrinally true. But something just jumped out at me, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit nudged me. When Abraham returned... Melchizedek met him and blessed him. We talked a little bit about this separation. We need this approval. You know what was powerful in the Old Testament that, that signified approval? It was the blessing. People sought the, their father's blessing. Jacob wanted so badly the blessing. The mediator, Melchizedek, offers Abraham the blessing, the approval. You, you've got God's blessing on you. You've got God's blessing on you. What so many of you are missing that you keep seeking in the approval of somebody else or something else, you're missing the blessing that God wants to give you. You don't have the blessing. You're missing the blessing. And Melchizedek offers Abraham the blessing, and Jesus is in the order after Melchizedek, and he has come to bring you and I the blessing, the mediator between us and God. And how does, how does he do it? How does, how does he do this? Because he is both king and priest. Melchizedek was king and priest. King, how, king and priest don't go together. You never combine those things. You don't see those things. Remember, that's what got Saul in trouble. Saul was a king, and he didn't wait on Samuel to offer the sacrifice before going into battle. Instead, he offered it for himself, and he got himself in trouble. You didn't combine those two things. Why? Because the king is all about justice. The king is the lawgiver. The king is the one that brings justice. People would come before the king and he would judge their matters and bring justice to their matters. Absalom, when he was trying to undo David, one of his mechanisms was to, to stand before, instead of his father, he stood before as people would come and, and he would listen to them saying, oh, my father, the king is too busy. He doesn't have time to listen to your matters. Following David, Solomon had two ladies that came to him. They both had had babies, but one of them died in the middle of the night, and the other one took the other one's baby and claimed it was hers. And they had an argument over whose baby it was. Who did they go to? 
Solomon, justice, the judge, the lawgiver. Oh, but what's the priest? What's the priest? The priest is the one who is the counselor. The one that you come with your weaknesses, you offer your sacrifices, and he, he sympathizes with you. He empathizes with you, and he offers on behalf of you because he recognizes that he himself is, 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 is in weakness, and he offers those things before the Father. So you, you, you have these two offices, lawgiver and judge, and you have this office of, of, of priest, which is, which is to mediate and, 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 and to show compassion to the weak. And so, so how do these two combine? The, the person of the king is a matter of truth and the priest is a matter of tears. How do, you, how do you see this? The only place other than Jesus that we see this is Melchizedek who was both described as the king of Salem and a priest of the most high God. And Jesus is one who not from the tribe of Judah, but from the, or from the tribe of Levi, but from the tribe of Judah is declared and chosen by God as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 14, what I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. No, he didn't. But Jesus is from a different order. He is both the king and the priest. How do you do this? How do you combine these two things? How do you combine justice, a law-giving God, and the justice of a holy God with the compassion of a priest? How do you combine these two things? There's only one way. The cross. The cross the cross is where the absolute justice of God met with the fullness of mercy. It's in the cross. To illustrate this, going back to the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Judah was, 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 was genealogy from Judah, one of Jacob's sons. And, and, and when he was growing up, he, he had this family of these, these 12 boys. Can you imagine that? Man, oh man. And so there was conflict, right? Because, you know, you had a lot of family drama going on. And they had a younger brother by the name of Joseph. And he was favored by his father, given a coat in many colors. And, and he's having these dreams, and he's talking about these dreams. And man, they had just had enough. And so what do they do? They plot to kill him, but instead of killing him, they sell him to, to, to some slave traders, Ishmaelite traders. They take him to Egypt, and, uh, and, and all of these things. You know, Joseph ends up through all these things, but eventually, he ends up where God wanted him, and he's second in command in Egypt, and there's a drought in the land, and there's a need for food. And so you know the brothers go showing up, right, to, to get this food. But Joseph wants to test their hearts to see if they've changed. Are they the same people? And so he has a younger brother from the same mom, Benjamin. And, and, and he wants to see how they'll treat Benjamin. And so he, he takes one of his own silver cups and he has his servants put it in the, the grain sack of Benjamin. He lets them leave to go back to their father. But then he sends his soldiers after them. And, and, they, and, and they say, how, how dare you steal from our master? He's been so good to you. And they say, we didn't steal. We didn't steal. If you, you find anything in any of our sacks, that person who you find it will die. And, and, and they open up the sack of Benjamin and there's the silver cup. And Benjamin, I, I didn't do it. I swear I didn't take it. And they come back, and Benjamin must die. And who steps up? Judah, I promised my father, 
that he would return safely. Don't take his life. Take my life. And that's a picture of what Jesus has come to do for you and I. The king has become the priest where the justice of God has been satisfied by the mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, truth without grace is fundamentalism. and Grace without truth is just sentimentality. You need both. You don't need to be telling God. You don't need a God telling you, well, you know what? Your sins are not that big a deal. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about your sin. Your sin is really not that big a deal. What's the big deal about sin? Let me tell you what the big deal about sin is. Sin literally released the curse that is the reason why we have all of the death and the problems and the suffering and the injustice and everything that we have in our world today. Sin is a problem and it's a big problem because sin is what sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. Sin, sin caused Jesus to have to go to the cross. Don't tell me your sin is not a big deal. Don't say, well, it's just a little thing. It's not that bad. Let me tell you something. Sin is a big deal. That's truth. But mercy is, is Jesus loved you enough that he didn't leave you condemned in your sin, but he gave his life on the cross to be a mediator between you and God so that your sin can be forgiven. God can deal with our messed up state. He deals with us in our messed up state. And he uses truth. But he also uses love and mercy. He speaks to us in truth and tenderness. You want to you know a great example of this through Jesus? I'm going to keep on going. Remember the story of Lazarus? In John chapter 11, Jesus was friends with Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Perhaps you've heard of them before. Well, Lazarus got really sick. Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. He didn't come. He didn't come. He didn't come. You ever ask God for something and it just doesn't seem like he shows up? And then it seems like it's the end. See, Lazarus died. He died. They were grieving. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he comes in contact with both Martha and Mary, and they, they say the same thing to him. They, they say this at separate times. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives two different answers. To Martha, he says, I'm the resurrection and life. In other words, hey, Martha, believe in me because I'm in control, and I've got a plan, and I'm the resurrection and on the life, just believe in me. He speaks truth to Martha. With Mary, he doesn't say anything. He simply enters into her grief, and we see the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You see, Jesus is king, sharing the truth with Martha because that's what Martha needed. And you see Jesus as priest entering into the grief and the weakness of Mary and weeping with her because he knows what Mary needed. Jesus knows what you need. He is both king and priest. He suffered 
Yet he, he suffered our loneliness and our pain and our abandonment. He knows, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows loneliness and he knows pain and he knows betrayal and he knows rejection. Jesus knows it and he endured it. And so now he hears us with sympathy and the tenderness of a priest that every time we pray to God, he intercedes and weeps with you. That's why Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 is so powerful. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Therefore, here, because of that, what, what are we encouraged to do? Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now that was just one point. I got to quickly hurry through the second. And that is this. Jesus can save anyone, anywhere. Because he is our great high priest. He can save anyone, anywhere. Here's the problem with the Aaron, the priest from the, from the, the, the line of Aaron. They were Jewish, and so they mediated and represented the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. But Melchizedek, there is no genealogy. That's what Hebrews 7.3 says. No record of his father or mother or any ancestors. No beginning or end in his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. And what that means is, is that, that after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus says, my salvation, this priesthood, is for anyone, anywhere. Anyone, anywhere. He represents all of us. And he is one who is a priest forever. He does not die. Therefore, in verses 23 and 24, there are many priests under the old system. For death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. There is not a limit Jesus Christ, once and for all, verse 27, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sin first, and then the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he ordered himself as the, offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. So not only was he the high priest, he was also the lamb. Once and for all, forever. Verse 25, therefore he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Through him. Through him. Why is he the, why is he the way, the truth, and the life? Why is there no other way to get to God except through him? Because he is the mediator. He is the only one who is the high priest chosen by God, offering up himself the sinless lamb of God, the son of God. Therefore there is no other way to get to heaven except through Jesus that's the truth, friends. That's the truth, and it's truth and mercy rolled into one. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf, and he is the kind of high priest we need. He is holy and blameless and unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save there is, there is nothing too great. There is no sin that is too great that Jesus cannot save. There, you have not gone that far. Well, you don't know my sin. I know sin. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Do you know what, you know what keeps us from salvation? It's not sin that keeps us from salvation. It's not, it's not sin. It's pride. 
It's not sin, it's pride. Jesus has paid the price for your sin, so you don't have to. But in your pride, you keep trying to pay the price for your own sin. Seeking anything you can to try to find validation and hope. Hell is optional. It is. How is it optional? Because Jesus has paid the way. We just simply have to, in humility, come to our mediator, our high priest, throw down our pride, submit to his plan, submit to him as our king and our high priest, and say, here I am. Here is my weakness. Here is my sin. I, I want to be laid bare before you. And, and Jesus mediates because he's atoned for that sin, and we receive eternal life. That's what it's all about. It's not about your sin. Your sin is not keeping you from, from God. Because Jesus Christ is all, has, 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 has been open to receive and forgive you. It's your pride. It's your pride. And some of you have to let go of your pride so that you can receive what you have been missing. God can save you. You just have to believe. Put your faith in Him. He is our great high priest, our ultimate Mediator of justice and mercy, truth and grace. And he is able to restore you perfectly with the Father. That's why it's so powerful to understand Jesus in this role of our great high priest. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.